So this conference, I wanted to just talk about the sacraments and and, uh, inner healing prayer. Now, the Catechism says this um, in paragraph 1509. 1509 says, Heal the sick. The church has received this charge from the Lord and strives to carry it out by taking care of the sick as well as by accompanying them with her prayer of intercession. She believes in the life-giving presence of Christ, the physician of souls and bodies. This presence is particularly active through the sacraments and in an altogether special way through the Eucharist, the bread that gives eternal life, and that St. Paul suggests is connected with bodily health. Okay, so as we are in the presence of our Lord Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, um, we keep that in mind that um, you know the life giving presence of Christ, the physician of our souls and bodies, is here with us. Catechism eleven sixteen says this: the sacraments are powers that come forth from the body of Christ, which is ever ever living and life giving. They are actions of the Holy Spirit at work in His body, the Church. They are the masterworks of God in the new and everlasting covenant. And so that phrase, they're powers that come forth from the body of Christ, um, <clears throat> actually reminds me of a, uh, a, a crucifix. I don't know if you've been to the Schoenstatt Shrine just north of Crete, about a mile and a half or so on Highway 103. And uh, in the shrine, just above the tabernacle, there's this crucifix and it's just an interesting depiction where it has Jesus hanging on the cross, okay? And then the Blessed Mother is standing beneath, and she's holding a chalice beneath, her, beneath his side and collecting the precious blood flowing from his side. And I guess that's what I think of when I hear the sacraments are powers that come forth from the body of Christ. You know, we... We in that image, it so it just so conveys that truth that the sacraments, water flowing from the Lord's side, representative baptism, representative of baptism, and then blood, obviously the Holy Eucharist. Um, Catechism eleven fifty three, paragraph eleven fifty three says. A sacramental celebration is a meeting of God's children with their Father in Christ and the Holy Spirit. Is a meeting of God's children with their Father. Okay? So, when we struggle, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to... Um, I mean, we, we know that it can be a struggle for our church, for people to get to Mass on Sundays. And, um, and, and you know, it's an, obli- it's an obligation. Yeah, it's an obligation to get to Mass on Sunday, but it's like an obligation to go see Jesus, right? It's an obligation to go encounter the Lord. But also, just to think of it as, it's a meeting of God's children um, with their Father in Christ and the Holy Spirit. You know, it's a meeting with God's children. Um, and... Uh, you know, this is this is the this is what we want to convey um, to non-Catholics, but also to our brothers and sisters, and for us, for we ourselves, for us ourselves to uh, 
to um, embrace that truth and to really think of that. When I'm going to Mass, I am in the presence, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, Dr. Bob Schutz, you may know, uh, if you looked at the table out there, also wrote this book, Be Transformed, The Healing Power of the Sacraments. And those, uh, those uh, wounds that we talked about earlier, uh, he takes each of the sacraments and he shows how that particular sacrament heals a particular wound. Okay? And, um, you know, for instance, with, and I, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll just give you an excerpt of, of some of these here um, uh, with respect to each of these sacraments. Like I said, I'm not going to go through all of them, but um, at least for some of them. Regarding baptism, he says, Baptism is a public blessing declaring that you and I are precious and unrepeatable, gift, unrepeatable gifts of the Father. By restoring our relationship with God, baptism fundamentally heals the wounds of rejection that have plagued the human race since our fall from grace. Though God never rejected Adam and Eve, their decision to reject him invited a curse of rejection into the world which has infected all of humanity. Subsequently, every child born into this world is marked with an inherent deficiency due to original sin. Outside of baptism, we remain cut off from the Father's love and delight. Okay, so baptism, as you guessed, uh, heals rejection. Um, and then Holy Communion, he says, heals abandonment. And, and you know, we're... we're witnessing that right now you know the ways that we've been abandoned you know our lord is here to say you are not abandoned i'm here for you and um you know and, and we just bring that to the lord i don't mean to say that we have no right to um feel abandoned if we feel abandoned we just tell him and we acknowledge it okay so confirmation heals powerlessness heals powerlessness he says and uh, I'd just like to read what it says here under confirmation. He says, <clears throat> he says, um, if you have been baptized and confirmed in Christ, the same Holy Spirit who anointed and empowered Jesus dwells in you and acts through you. You are the Father's beloved. Jesus' abide, abiding presence remains with you. You are anointed with the full power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' mission has become your mission. You are anointed to proclaim the good news, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to comfort all who mourn. You don't need to worry about feeling inadequate. He has given you his own power to overcome your powerlessness. Um, he talks about uh, under holy orders, how that heals confusion. Um, you know, and our world is so distant from absolute truth, cannot see it in front of its face. Um, and, uh, you know, we have the church, we have the magisterium, we have holy orders to, to heal conf confusion, to bring truth um, and order. And, you know, we could say rightly that there's a purification of that going on. Um, among holy orders, a, a much-needed purification. And uh, we just want the Lord to guide that. 
uh, he says that matrimony heals fear. And um, he says, when bonds of love are secure, children and adults alike experience a pervasive sense of peace and joy, which allows them to thrive and develop to their fullest potential. Having their identity rooted and grounded in God's faithful love, these secure love bonds enable all the members of the family to experience peace, freedom, and a nourishing intimacy. The converse is also true. The absence of God's faithful love in marriage and family life leaves everyone feeling insecure. Children and spouses are then schooled in the way of fear and eventually form what researchers call fear bonds. These pseudo-bonds formed in the absence of love are fortified by proud judgments and confining self-protections. In this kind of environment, it is difficult for married couples and children alike to find genuine connectedness or develop lasting trust with one another. These wounds of fear instinctively motivate all the members of the family to remain isolated in order to avoid more pain, thus creating environments rife with mistrust, which in turn increases fear and mistrust. Um, And then he also says that um, reconciliation heals shame. Okay, it heals shame, and um, you know I think that's something we can all relate to. Um, you know, we just look at how the enemy works, right? I mean, the enemy his his tactics are this: he leads us to believe that this or that is not really that big a deal. Some particular sin is not that big a deal, and you know it's you know you have a right to it, or it's um, in this you know. Um, it's apparent pleasures, as St. Ignatius says in that first rule of the discernment of spirits. And, um, and so the enemy is just getting us to um, believe it's not that big a deal to do this or to do that, you know, to give in to temptation. But then, if and when we fall, he's the one who just then heaps shame on us and says, Wow, look what you've done, you know. Um, and then just gets us going down that road of just feeling full of shame. And, um, you know, that's his tactic. You know, make it not seem all that bad, and then then make it seem like um, we can't be forgiven or that it's um, absolutely the worst thing ever to have happened. And we did it, and we should keep accusing ourselves of it. That's his tactic. So reconciliation, as we were saying before, bringing the light of God's truth, bringing his love into those places of darkness, that is the answer. And so um, uh, reconciliation, confession, brings healing uh, in in a big way there. Uh, Obviously, it heals that, takes care of that shame. I, you know... And it can be, it can be, um, you know, there's, there's such thing as good guilt. The good guilt is the kind of guilt that gets us to repent and say, I need a Savior. I just ask Jesus, please forgive me. That's the good kind of guilt. The bad kind of guilt has us 
going back to our faults and failings, especially if they've already been forgiven in the sacrament of reconciliation. So um, we want to be mindful of that as well. And then anointing of the sick, which the church um, is most, you know, which the church says is very clearly a healing sacrament. Anointing of the sick heals hopelessness. Okay. Um, he says it's a particular, I'm sorry, this is the Catechism 1520. Okay, Catechism 1520 is a particular gift of the Holy Spirit. The first grace of this sacrament is one of strengthening peace and courage to overcome the difficulties that go with the condition of serious illness or the frailty of old age. This grace is a gift of the Holy Spirit who renews trust and faith in God and strengthens against the temptations of the evil one, the temptation to discouragement and anguish in the face of death. This assistance from the Lord by the power of his Spirit is meant to lead the sick person to healing of the soul but also of the body, if such is God's will. Furthermore, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, as the letter to St. James says. Um, and so we, we hear in that hope, we hear in that encouragement. Um, yeah, the anointing of the sick is just a, a powerful sacrament. There are times where I've seen people rebound from incredible... Um, I mean, at the point of death and then just rebounding uh, miraculously through the sacrament of the anointing of sick. Um, so the sacraments, uh, they're all, as, you know, we, where we are, we are inclined to say, okay, well, we have the two healing sacraments of confession and anointing of the sick. But I think Dr. Bob Schutz does a good job of just pointing out in here how each of the sacraments is healing in some way, uh, particularly with each of those particular um, wounds. Can inner healing prayer. Um, this is something that I've experienced uh, in my own life. Uh, just want to share what uh, Dr. Bob says are the steps for that. Uh, and I'm not... I don't have permission to make photocopies of this, so I just I'll I'll read and um, I'll just read the uh, the steps. And there are six steps that he he gives uh, for inner healing prayer, and it's and it's really uh, trying to go from the state of some kind of distress to peace. Okay, so first of all, identify the current distress sy- symptoms. That's the first step. Identify what the distress symptoms are. You know, what's distressing us? What do I desire? Or what is the current trigger event? Um, or, and what am I feeling in that situation? What do I believe in my heart about myself? What do I believe in, in my heart about another person? Okay, so first of all, just identifying what's there in the heart. And that really lines up with um, St. Ignatius's process of just being aware. Um, the second step is just ask Jesus or the Father, the Holy Spirit, um, whoever you feel closest to, ask Jesus or the Father or the Holy Spirit to show you the root to the problem. And, and try not to figure it out, he says. Just listen and receive. Okay? 
So it may be one memory or a series of memories or maybe a feeling. Um, maybe a, um, uh, a womb experience or a generational problem even. But trying not to figure it out or trying not to have the mind go to, okay, this is connected to this, this is connected to that. But just asking Jesus, just entrusting ourselves to him to show us the root. The third step is identify the painful experience in corresponding belief or lie. Okay? Um, so if he shows, um, okay, you know, if, if he brings to mind a painful experience, um, brings to mind a painful experience or a memory, um, he's... Dr. Bob says the pain and lies should match with the initial distress, okay, um, that comes to mind. You know, so it's connected in some way with what was current, what, what's causing us distress to begin with. Uh, the fourth step is ask Jesus to reveal what he desires to show us. What he desires to, sh- sorry, ask Jesus to reveal what he desires you to know, you know, um, there might be a picture, you know. It might be revealing, um, it might be Jesus revealing himself to a child. Um, and there might be a revelation of a truth, okay. I'm not, I'm not to blame. Or there might be a release of pain, okay. I'm not feeling alone anymore. Or there might be a sense or an inner knowing, like I feel like I'm loved. It could be a memory, it could be... I mean, it could be an image from a movie or a song or just a word. It could be a couple words. It could be a verse from Scripture. Okay, so the Lord speaks to us in many ways. Um, and so not to, not to just dismiss what comes to mind after we, after we prayed for that. And if it's not clear why that particular word or phrase or picture or memory came to mind when we're wanting healing in this moment, then we can say, Jesus, I don't understand. What is, what are you trying to say to me here? What is this word, what does this image mean? Okay? And so, just asking Jesus to reveal what he desires you to know. That's the fourth step. Fifth step is if you don't, do not receive anything from Jesus, look for barriers. Um, you know, maybe it's control due to an inner vow or judgment. Okay? And it, maybe it's wanting to be in control. Um, maybe it's uh, dissociation due to early trauma. Uh, maybe it's feeling an abandonment from God. Or it could be like a wall of anger, fear, denial, or hopelessness, he says. Uh, he says, ask the Lord to reveal and, and to you know, so even that, just where we're at, okay, Lord, I feel a barrier. I'm not, I'm not hearing you. I'm not getting anything. Can you reveal for me what the barrier is? So it's just a very step-by-step process of just allowing the Lord to lead and going to him and just saying, okay, if we haven't got anything coming to mind, then, okay, what, Lord, what is the reason for that? Can you reveal for me what I need to do? Is there something you're trying to tell me in that? Okay. And so then the sixth step is when you receive the healing from Jesus, um, you know, it should match up with, um, 
you know, so there should be some fruit there. And when there's a healing, there's some fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, okay? Compassion, peace, joy. Um, there's some fruit that comes as a result of that. A, just a tranquility, a, um, um, a feeling of being loved. And then it's so important to give thanks to God. Uh, just praise him for, for what he reveals, okay? So an example in my own life, I, uh, when I did, was on an Ignatian retreat a year ago, I think I mentioned, I mentioned that. And, uh, and so it was a eight days of total silence, right? And mostly silence, except for the... Um, you know, on that first retreat, there was one time in particular early on that I, um, you know, I was doing my best to keep silence, and I thought at one point I'd go out for a walk, you know, and so I walk out the door and I'm going to the drive out in front, and Father Barrick is standing right there, and actually Father Barrick's standing right there right now, so, but. Uh, Father Barrick's standing right there, and he looks at me and he says, if you're going that way, there's a skunk over there. <laughs> and, and I thought, man, you just ruined my silence, you know? <laughs> but I went back inside, said, oh, forget it, I'm not going for a walk. <laughs> but, uh, but on that retreat, I... Um, uh, yeah, I was, I was at lunch, and you know, you're sitting at the table, and we each had our own table, so we're all facing outward, and we're facing out towards the windows, you know, so that we couldn't be a distraction to each other. And I, at one point, I thought, you know, it's like I heard this crunching, you know. I'm like, man, this guy's chewing his chips, you know. It's like, gee whiz, you know. And I thought, well. Uh, and then I started, I it caught myself, but I started to go down the road and, well, there's this other thing too, you know, I mean, you know, I don't like when he does this or I don't like when he does, you know, and I just, and I stopped myself. I'm like, oh, Lord, could you reveal for me the source of my self-righteousness? You know, and I kid you not, it was, I could barely get the question out, but those words came to me. It was, it was, it was your good grades. It was your good grades. And I'm like, hmm. And that just hit me. I'm like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Because I had gotten good grades. I had gotten straight A's from sixth grade through high school. And I thought, that makes sense. Like that, I put my identity in that. That that was who I thought I was. And so I get good grades. And so that makes that's what makes me better than someone else, you know. And so that was a, it was a revelation that I was just rejoicing in. I'm like, Wow, that was really awesome. Thank you. You know, I was, um, but I also knew, but I also knew that that was rooted in experience in an experience that I had with my dad when I was in fourth grade, where um, and my dad was um, awesome, awesome dad. Um, um, but there were times early on, I would say, growing up, where there was, I just felt you know, his intimidation or his anger, okay? His anger just really looked scary to me. You know, his face got angry. It just was scary. 
and it just really, I think it really made me kind of go into a shell almost in many ways, such that I was considered um, shy and quiet and all this stuff. And um, But uh, I remember one day in particular where... I, you know, I wasn't getting decent grades, apparently, in math or science or something. And I was, again, I was in fourth grade. And he sat me down during, um, I don't know, Sunday mass. Not Sunday mass, but Sunday after dinner or something. And and just had this very serious look on his face. He said, son, if you do not get good grades, you are not going get to get a good job when you grow up. You know? And... Um, and I could just see the disappointment in him. Not that he was mad, not that he was... And he was never, like, physically abusive or anything like that. But um, uh, I just remember there being a lot of tension in the house. Like, don't get Dad mad, you know? Um, but anyway, with that experience, I knew that that was the point where it turned. Where it was like, oh, I w- Dad was disappointed in me. And so I have to take control and I've got to get good grades all the time. And, um, and that was reinforced, okay? It was reinforced when I got good grades. It would do when any of us as, as my, you know, my siblings, my two siblings. I've got a younger brother, younger sister. And, and it was good. I, I'm glad that they rewarded us for it, my parents. You know, maybe get a little money, go to a nice restaurant um, as a result of the, the good report card or what have you. But it... You know, it was just a little bit much, you know, that way. A little bit too much pressure, a lot of pressure, frankly. You know, and I remember times where, you know, even in high school, uh, and uh, in high school and in, in junior high, I remember I'd go to bed crying because I did not know, especially at the beginning of the year, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get straight A's. I just went through these first week of classes, and they seem impossible, you know. And, uh, and I would just go to bed crying and my mom would be like, it's okay. It'll be, you know, and she'd have pray with me and that, but you know, and dad, he was, his encouragement was more like, you'll do just fine. You know, which really didn't lift the burden. You know, it was more like, you'll do whatever you have to do to get good (laughs) grades. You know, that's how it felt. That's how I understood it. Right. And so, um, but yeah, I got straight A's from sixth grade all the way up through high school. And, and I kind of look back on that. I think, uh, I mean, one of the ways that I feel that that's wounded me is you know, not, you know, in, in my life is not learning just for the sake of learning, you know, trying to learn to the grade kind of thing. But anyway, I knew that that was the event that I could remember that was connected to the... Um, self will to the good grades and then the self-righteousness. And so I was walking from the refectory or the dining room and my room was at the very end of this hall. And I, I'm walking and I'm thinking, yeah, I remember the John Paul II Healing Center saying that once the Lord reveals that, then ask him where he was in that time. Once he reveals what the wound is, ask him where he was in that time. And, um, and so, oh yeah, maybe I'll just do that. I'll ask him where he was or what, you know? And so I walk into the room and I open the door and I said, um, so Lord, where were you when my dad said that to me? 
you know, and I, again, again, it was just, it came as it was words and not that I get this very often, but it was just words and I could not have reasoned to it or I wasn't like thinking about it, if you will, just asked and okay, here's the answer. I said, no, he doesn't. He's going to be a priest, you know, as if Jesus was in the room at the time and he was saying to my dad, no, he doesn't need to get good grades. He's going to be a priest. Now, I know seminarians should get good grades, right? But, <laughs> but in my mind, you know, those words coming to me was like, yeah, Jesus was telling my dad off, you know? And, and you know, I was kind of rejoicing in that, you know? I'm like, wow, that was awesome, you know? Jesus told my dad off at that time. And, uh, you know, it was... So you know, that little, that revelation, so that whole day I was just like, wow, I was just blown away by what that inner healing prayer did, you know, as I just applied it to my own situation as it, as it arose, okay? And, um, uh, but then the next day was a whole nother story, okay? The next day was a whole nother story because then the Lord was revealing to me how I withheld love for my dad, you know? Yeah, maybe I had been wounded by him at various times in my life, but then I wounded him by withholding love from from him. And, and so it just became you know, just clear to me, you know, and, and so that was another day. Uh, and that was that was also you know, a lot of tears that day and, and needing to say I'm sorry to my dad. And uh, it was very, very healing, very good. I think I would just like to end tonight so that um, in the talk tonight with uh, a renunciation prayer at the end of this book, or not the end of the book, the end of the chapter on baptism. Okay, and I just, I would, if you'd humor me, if you could just repeat after me, okay? And just, it all comes back to identity, okay? Just, we want to come back to identity, all right? So just repeat after me. I'm going to break it up in little pieces here. In the name and authority of Jesus Christ, which I received in my baptism, I renounce the lie that I am not loved or lovable. I renounce the curse of rejection that comes from the father of lies. I renounce the authority that I have given to anyone else but you, Father, to tell me my value and worth. You, Father, are the only one who completely knows me and loves me as I am. I acknowledge that by virtue of my baptism, I am loved and delighted in by you, Father. I also acknowledge that 
by virtue of my blessing in baptism, you have given me your Holy Spirit, whose love is poured out into my heart. I am one with Jesus, your beloved. Amen. Amen.